Well, if you have your Bibles there, you can open them to James uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. That's James chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. I'll be speaking from verses 11 and 12, but from verse 7, uh, sorry, 7 to 12, uh, I'll be reading. Uh, but verse 7 gives us a good, uh, a good context. So that's James chapter 4 from verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Well, if you haven't seen uh, the show Mythbusters, uh, it's going to come up uh, on the screen in a minute. Uh, uh, it's, it's a show which seeks to determine whether uh, some urban myths or whether some common beliefs uh, are true or, or whether they're not true and they're just a myth. Uh, for example, they, they busted the myth that if you sneeze with your eyes open, your eyes will fly out of your face from the force of the sneeze. Well, they proved that that's wrong, thankfully. Uh, they proved that it's possible that if you fitted your car with square wheels... Uh, and drove it fast enough, you could actually have a smooth ride. These are really important things for us to know. Uh, they busted the myth that if you consume both Mentos and Diet Coke at the same time, that your stomach would explode. Well, that's not the case, so go ahead and enjoy your Mentos and Diet Coke. See, one of the appealing things about Mythbusters is the danger that they bring with some of their experiments. And though they're in controlled environments, sometimes they don't go as planned. Uh, during one experiment in a bomb disposal range in the US, they were trying to prove whether materials other than cannonballs could be fired out of a cannon and uh, be just as affected, now, uh, effective. Uh, now, the first thing they did was to fire a cannonball. And it was meant to travel through several, uh, several barrels of water, through uh, a cinder block wall, and land within the bomb disposal range which they were conducting the experiment. Now, we'll just bring that slide back up again. Uh, what actually happened is they fired it and it hit a safety beam and it went up over the hill and down into the residential area of the neighbourhood below. It uh, was travelling over 300 metres a second and flew through a house and you can see from that picture there's a hole in the house about 25 centimetres wide. Uh, it, went, uh, it, it bounced on the road, it hit a roof and then it finally crashed into the window of the minivan uh, that you see there. So the owner of the van and his 12-year-old son, they'd only just got out of the van a few minutes earlier. No matter how controlled the environment seems to be, if you shoot a cannonball, it is going to cause destruction. And that destruction will often be unexpected. Well, this morning, James is addressing the issue of slander. And he says that as slander comes from your lips, it is like that stray cannonball. No matter how controlled your environment is, 
the risk is that it will bounce off someone or something that you weren't expecting and wreak havoc in places you didn't intend it to go. Let me just read to you verse 11 again. We just bring that up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who slanders against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. See, a few weeks ago, we considered the taming of the tongue as we looked at James chapter 3. And here, James continues uh, talking about the tongue. Uh, It's after the context of a discussion about what heavenly wisdom is and earthly wisdom is, uh, particularly in relating to the tongue, but in all aspects of your life. And then last week, George showed us that uh, in the context of quarrelling, we are not to quarrel with one another. See, the tongue takes up 20% of James's letter. There's some reference to the tongue in 20% of it. And uh, fighting and quarrelling and, uh, and slander, they go hand in hand. See, James begins here simply by saying, do not slander one another. Now, when we talk about the word slander, it seems something quite, that just the, the way it's been written, it, it seems a bit beyond what we are likely to do. So it's worth us asking the question, what is slander? See, on the surface, we can probably admit that when we're talking about the tongue, that we uh, probably don't encourage one another enough, that sometimes we say things we shouldn't. But is slander really a part of our lives? See, it seems so forceful. Well, the word slander here simply means speak against. In fact, uh, in verse 11 here, uh, where he says, Uh, where he talks about slander. And then he says in the second part, uh, if you speak against your brother or sister, you see, it's the same word. Slander simply means to speak against. He's saying do not speak against your brother or sister. It's a term that's throughout the Bible. It's uh, obviously been throughout Israel. Uh, The New Testament letters show that the expectation of the apostles was it's in the church then. Uh, Back in Psalm 35, David talks about when he stumbled, he says those against him gathered in glee. They slandered me without ceasing, he says. And he says this several times. He mentions it in Psalm 50 as well. So it was a work through God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah, they all make reference to the slander that's happening. Uh, Proverbs says, it lies in wait for blood. It destroys neighbours. It separates close friends. Proverbs addresses it as a characteristic of the fool and not the wise. But it's also in the New Testament. It becomes obvious the apostles uh, do think it's going to be in the churches. In his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, in verse 20, uh, Paul says this, Uh, He says, For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as as I want... uh, Sorry. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. 
See, what he's saying is that when we encounter people that aren't exactly what we think that they should be, slander starts. We start talking against them. We start speaking against them. We start bringing them down. Paul's theology is not quite right. He addresses all this in his letters. So people start bringing him down. Uh, when he was in jail, I think it was in the book of Philippians, he talks about how, uh, how they kept talking him down and undermining all that his theology was. Uh, he, they would undermine the gospel because they were slandering him. Paul teaches Titus to teach the old women in Titus 2 uh, not to be slanderers. He then says uh, in chapter 3 to Titus, teach all people to slander no one. You see, slander is something that we should be expecting because I think when it comes down to it, it is a part of the human heart. It's tied to things like voyeurism, where we like to watch people and make judgment upon them. This is why uh, shows like, well, I've, I've actually been watching uh, Survivor and the slander that's right through Survivor is quite, quite remarkable and it shows the human heart. But then I'm watching it and I'm saying to Ellie, oh, I can't believe he's doing that and I start slandering the people that are in the slandering show. It's just part of what we do. So it's not a problem of the ages past. It's not just the Old Testament. It's not just New Testament times. We have to accept that it doesn't just exist in the church, but it probably, the reality is, is that we are all guilty of slander. It's very much ingrained in our culture. You just have to wait at the checkout at a supermarket and go and pick up a magazine. And at the heart of slander is taking information that you have about someone and using it to destroy their reputation, to defame them. By bringing them down, you are bringing yourself up. It is driven by insecurity quite often. And it's driven by a heart which is wanting to uh, get a one-up on someone else. Well, sometimes it happens publicly, but most of the time it happens behind someone's back. It's backbiting. Uh, so let's, what I want to do is I just want to look at a few examples to help you understand what I'm talking about. Now, it could be the unhelpful repeating of stories, just repeating stories when you don't even know the truth behind it necessarily. You haven't done your research. You don't really know, but you start repeating them. And I've just got a slide up there. So the unhelpful repeating of stories. Now, I heard that Mrs. So-and-so... Now, every time I mention someone's name, we don't have a Mrs. So-and-so in our church, and we didn't have one in any of the churches I've been at. So none of these examples relate to anyone in the church. If you feel that they do, then perhaps that it's more to do with the fact that you're being convicted. I, this has got nothing to do with anyone in the church or any previous churches. I just need to say that. But it could be something like, I heard Mrs. So-and-so's husband went into the bottle shop three nights in a row and bought a bottle of vodka each time. Did you know that the couple that just started coming to our church are living together and they aren't even married? Well, yes, well, did you know that John Bloggs refuses to get his vaccine? He must be one of those conspiracy theorists. I just think it's so selfish. 
See, no one really knows the truth behind these matters, the reasons why. They don't know the full story. It's just that they want to talk about it. See, repeating stories that you hear is part of slander. Well, the second thing is really malicious talk. So malicious talk is effectively gossip. Uh, it could be something about someone's car, their house, their social ability, just something. I cannot believe she turned up to the wedding wearing those clothes. Have you smelled how much aftershave the pastor wears? Ooh, what's wrong with him? See, there's, something, there's nothing fruitful from these conversations. In fact, it's how the world... This is the gossip magazines uh, at the checkout in the supermarket. But I think there's uh, the most destructive type of slander occurs by a person who has been trusted with confidential information and it's shared. It's the breaking of confidence. And I think this is the one which can bring great destruction to a person's life. See, unless it's shared to protect them or someone else, uh, then there really is no good that comes from it. It's like a stray cannonball on Mistbusters. So what happens is a person brings someone into their confidence and their trust. The person begins sharing information with them, uh, usually for support and encouragement. Uh, they feel it's a safe place. But the one who has been trusted will then share the snippets of information uh, in another conversation. I'm sure we've all been a part of this at some point. Now, it goes something like this. So here's an example. And once again, Mary and Martha do not exist in our church. Let's say Mary confides to Martha that her marriage has some difficulties and the only way she's been coping lately is to be having a few glasses of wine at night and she knows that she's been drinking a bit too much lately. Well, Martha catches up with Samantha the next day and as Samantha is sharing, she's telling Martha about Mary and how Mary has helped her wonderfully through this uh, difficult season. Samantha's saying great things about Mary. She's saying she's supportive to others. Uh, I don't know how she does it. She's got four kids. Her husband works away a lot. Uh, she's running a ministry at the church. Well, Martha decides that Samantha needs a little more information to give her a balanced perspective. And she says, well, I have to tell you, Mary is struggling more than what you may think. In fact, she shared with me yesterday that her marriage isn't so good and she's been drinking a fair bit to get through. I tell you that so we can pray for her. See, Martha might believe that she's being altruistic and giving the fullness of the picture to Samantha. But what is she in fact doing? She's dragging Mary's reputation down. She's taking confidential and trusted information in order to bring her down. It's wrapped up with prayer so we think it's okay. But what she's doing is defaming Mary to someone else. She's breaching confidence. She's breaching trust. Uh, and, and what she's saying isn't necessarily untrue. But it's slander. And it's the spreading of information that was never intended to be given. So if there's anything that has the potential to hand the reins of the church over to the devil and to destroy it, it's slander. I tell you, the amount of conversations that I have with people who used to come to church, our church, other churches, whatever, 
And it's used to come to church because they got sick of all the chatter and they got sick of people talking about other people in ways which were unhelpful. I think it's a big part of all churches and it's a great, it's a great problem that we need to deal with. See, once the information's out, it's almost impossible for it to stop spreading. Slander is the delta variant of sin. It is almost impossible to stop. And James says at the heart of all this is judgment. In verse 11, he's saying you are standing in judgment, not just against that person, but against God's own law. He says this in, uh, in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? See, at the end of verse 11, he's just said you're standing in judgment against God's law. Because God's law is love your neighbour as yourself. Not to judge your neighbour. Judgment is reserved for the one who knows the human heart fully. The one who can righteously judge someone and make that de declaration of judgment. But you, take the speck out of your, take, take the uh, plank out of your own eye before, Jesus says, you deal with the speck in another person's eye. See, when you bring someone's information about them or talk about someone, it is in judgment, particularly in this negative, and you're speaking against them. Do not slander. See, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. The way he deals with people who are slandering him is to die on the cross for them. And what does he say as they're hurling insults at them all publicly? Forgive them, Father, for, I do not, for they do not know what they are doing. See, he also knows all things. So his judgment is righteous, yet slander shows no mercy. It shows no compassion. It has no love in it. It's opposite to the grace that we have been saved by, the grace that lays down its life for the very one in whom is slandering it. So the question I want to answer is how do we stop slander? It's so ingrained in our culture. It's so ingrained in many of us, and I'm not outside of this, how do we stop it? Well, the one thing that slander does need is an ear to hear. See, when there are no ears to hear, then slander has no fuel for its fire. Now, uh, yesterday I was out doing some gardening in the front, and uh, my mate Kevin next door, he loves coming over for a chat, and I love his chats, and uh, he came over and, uh, and we just started chatting about uh, his childhood and he grew up in the country areas of New South Wales and he's saying he's got 15 uh, kids in their school, you know, going from kindergarten all the way to uh, the top grade and he loved it. Uh, but then we started talking about telephones because I was up in the, uh, in the outback for a while and we had mobile phones. But telephones back in Kevin's uh, younger days, they were all wired, for those of us who remember wired telephones. Uh, but in the, in the bush, what they had was something called the party line. Now, the party line was a single circuit attached to all the phones in the farm in a local area. 
And so what it meant is that your phone line was connected to all the other phone lines. It was one line. So only one person could make a call at any time. But the thing about a party line, and I guess it's why they called it the party line, is everyone could pick up their phone and talk to each other. It's kind of like Zoom, but on a telephone, a wired telephone. But the problem was if you were having a conversation with someone... Anybody could pick up their phone and listen in and you can imagine how powerful that information could be. And Kevin was saying that one of the things that you would always hear when you're on a phone call is the click of other phones. When people got sick of your conversation or it was boring, they'd hang up when they were listening. See, anybody could listen to anyone's conversation. See, when, when, we, when we slander... What it needs, slander needs a party line. And each of us have a handset that we can either choose to pick up and listen or put down and cut the line. See, one of the things that we need to do to deal with slander is to cut the line. We need to stop our ears from hearing. So if someone comes to you and start sharing information, you need to have the courage to gently and compassionately just stop them and say you don't want to know and even rebuke them in a gentle, loving way to highlight to them that the information they're sharing, well, it's not information that they should be sharing. See, I almost skipped this sermon this week because I preached on the tongue a few weeks ago and I went, well, what am I going to say? But I think there's a reason James brought this back uh, into, his, uh, into his letter at this point. Because I think slander is such a big part of the problem in all churches. And we need to cut the line. We need to stop it in its tracks. Now, there are a few reasons uh, where we may need to share confidential information. And so I need to address this because we've just been through the Safe Churches uh, program. If there is a child or a vulnerable person at risk, we need to share that information. But not with everyone else. In the right channels, with Safe Church teams, with police, mandatory reporting, all those kind of things. Uh, you can share that information if you have the permission of that person. When we put details in the prayer points each week, we ask permission to do that from people. Uh, and and, and if, it's, if, if someone is in danger, then you need to share that information. But I also want to just raise the fact that what if you are the subject of slander? What if you're the one who's being slandered and that information is going out? Well, I just want to encourage you that your worth and your identity is not tied up to what other people are thinking about you. It is about Jesus and his worth that he's placed on you in Christ. And we have to draw into him and commit our reputations and commit our integrity to him and trust that over time, that people will see your integrity and true character. Uh, I also want to encourage you, if it's safe to do so, gently confront the slanderer. See, in the church context, 
If you're not comfortable, you never put yourself into an abusive situation. But if you're not comfortable, then you approach an elder or myself and we might be able to sit in with that meeting. But thirdly, just hold on to the gospel of God's grace. See, nothing happens outside of the knowledge of God, the true judge. And you need to rest in him and draw yourself into him. And yes, you can confide in someone and, and, and seek help to navigate that journey in a spiritual way. But also want, uh, <clears throat> I also want to address those of us who uh, are perhaps slanderers. The reality is you might find yourself in a position where you've realised that you've shared information, you've spoken against someone, you've done something. Well, then what do you do? Perhaps today you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh my, I think I've slandered someone. Well, firstly, we repent. We come to the Lord, we ask forgiveness for that. And we commit this to him and we turn around and we stop doing it. Secondly, I encourage you to approach that person and to apologise. Now, it's up to them whether they give you their forgiveness. You can't control that. But you do need to confess and apologise. And finally, you need to understand that you are in the arms of God's grace. And that's where you need to land. See, once you come and you repent, you ask forgiveness, then you look at the cross, you humble yourself and you recognise that Christ died for you and that you can come and be set free from even the words that you've said. And that goes for all our sin. We don't live in our sin, but we confess, we repent and we rest in God's grace. Just as Jesus looked upon the slanderers of his own life and said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. He looks upon you and says, I am dying on the cross so that you can be forgiven from this. See, slanderers and slander is one of the greatest threats to all churches, I believe. And I want to encourage you today to cut the party line, not to listen if there is no party line, then hopefully someone will see the culture of the church is different to that and they will recognise in themselves their sin and they will repent and we can rejoice in that stopping. But if they choose not to do that, then if there's no party line, they'll need to find somewhere else to destroy. We can't control that either. But we do need to stop it if it exists. We can't be talking against each other. It's not the way of Christ. It's not to ha how to love our neighbour. And it is not the way that we should be living. Our witness to each other and our witness to the world should be words that build up and not destroy. So let's get rid of the party line. Let's cut it off. And uh, let's see our church blossom in health and, and strong relationships. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you that uh, Jesus, as he hung on that cross, he said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. Father God, we all come to you this morning knowing that in many ways that we have spoken against our brothers and sisters or other people. It seems to be one of the easiest things to do, Lord, to drag people down. But Father God, I pray that we don't remain in guilt and we don't remain in shame, but we confess we repent and we turn away from that type of life 
Father God, I pray that our church will be one where we build one another up and that we encourage one another and we love one another deeply from the heart. And I pray that your kingdom, as all your people throughout the world, seeks to honour you and proclaim the name of Christ, that they will be a reflection of this in the world and that as the world encounters us, they will see something different. They won't see what's happening on Big Brother. They won't see what's happening in the magazines, in the aisles at the supermarket. They won't see what's happening uh, in Survivor or all the other television shows that are, are really uh, loving uh, this type of behaviour. Father, they will see something pure. They will see something better. They will see something where they can trust and that they will be grafted in. So, Father God, bless us now and watch over us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.